we get to this reading of the feeding of the 5,000 and it comes at a particular time in uh, Jesus' life and ministry that's a fairly confronting time. It's, it's first good to notice that most of the miracles that Jesus performs are actually quite personal and private. Uh, limbs are made strong, leprosy is healed, people's sight or hearing might be restored and then people are often warned not to tell anybody. So it's a very intimate uh, kind of thing that goes on and then a, a quietness about um, making it public. And here we have a very public situation which isn't particularly intimate because actually Jesus gets the disciples to do most of the hard yards here and it's a very different kind of sign and wonder. But uh, as the name signs and wonders indicate, it's a sign that's supposed to make you wonder about something and we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, So as I was saying, this particular incident takes place just after John the Baptist is executed by Herod. If you know that story, you'll know that Herod was annoyed with John, criticising him for marrying, Herod married his brother's wife and um, uh, John was very critical of that, so that's outside the ways that we do stuff in Judaism and uh, was railing against him and you don't do that against political leaders in first century Palestine because you'll be disappeared, which is what happened. But Herod didn't have the guts to actually execute John, Um, but Herod's wife, Herodias, was more annoyed than Herod and less concerned about executing John. So when her daughter did a very nice dance and Herod was very impressed and said, I will give you anything up to half my kingdom, she spoke to her mum and her mum said, get John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. So that was a very brutal end to John the Baptist. So Jesus withdrew after he heard about that, probably for at least two reasons. One was he was undoubtedly grieving the loss of his friend and colleague, a good man who was doing good things. And also Jesus is very politically savvy. He kind of knew that this is the first real pushback against kingdom preaching and if his mate can be executed by the powers that be, it probably would be a smart thing for him to not be in the public eye or the main Uh, public discourse for a time. On the two occasions that I've been arrested by police, both in prayer gatherings in politicians' offices, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I was with a bunch of colleagues and somebody next to me got arrested first and I knew they were coming for me next. And I think that uh, Jesus probably had some sense of that going on when um, he heard of John's execution. So he withdrew. And you wouldn't blame Jesus if he started to take some measures that were a bit self-protecting, a bit kind of survival instinct oriented. So he turns up at this uh, secluded place, a place away from everything, everybody, and discovers a crowd has followed along. They came by boat, uh, Jesus came by boat, but the crowd followed along from town to town, picking up more and more people. And there was this massive crowd. I think it's maybe Mark or Luke's gospel that say he saw them and they were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So here he was retreating 
but who he was retreating from kind of came with him. I'm sure parents understand that when they try to get a bit of retreat from their kids and the kids just come and join in. Uh, yeah, a bit different, but similar. Jesus resists the instinct to be utterly self-protecting. He resists the instinct to just look after himself. If it had been me and I turned up to the beach and there was 5,000 people there waiting for me when I was on my way wanting to be in a, a, a desolate place, I would have gone, boys, turn the boat around, we'll find somewhere else. But Jesus didn't do that. You see, because when an animal is threatened, the brain does a really clever thing. It shuts down all ancillary operations and focuses all the energy on the survival task. Decisions become much more binary. Will this help me survive or will it threaten my survival? And we are quickly able to make those switch changes. It flattens out nuance. It means that we can't attend to higher order matters. And... I can imagine that for Jesus there was a little bit of that shutdown tempting to happen, but he resists it. He resists that urge to be controlled by his survival instinct and the desire to get out of public view and all of that and decides to engage the crowds, responding to their needs, offering them his compassion and engaging them and healing them nonetheless. And the details of what happens next are too scant. I mean, the disciples come up and say, look, it's getting late, there's no 7-Eleven nearby, we've got to get these people back to where they can get some food and now's the time to do that before we have real trouble on our hands. And Jesus says to them, why don't you give them something to eat? <laughs> and they, I can imagine it's kind of like, yeah, good one, Jesus. Comedy routine, good, I like it, yep. We've got five, fi- uh, five loaves and two fish amongst 5,000 people. That's 1,000 people per loaf. And we don't know exactly what happens. Luke and Mark mention about the disciples getting people into groups of 50s or maybe 100 or so. And it's an interesting number, that, because those who study like church growth and so forth like that uh, realise that when you've got a small group, it's great for intimacy, but you don't sense community or critical mass. Whereas if you get a really large group, there's a great sense of movement and humanity, but you can't know all the people involved. But with a group of 50, you kind of can know everybody's name and know something about them and get to know them as a community and there's good connection and good resources together to actually make something happen. Probably too much of a stretch to say 50 is the ideal church size, but... um, There's something to that number that makes it work very well for people to notice and care for one another in an effective way. And in these groups of 50s, it's a 5,000 strong crowd, so there's still, what, 100 groups around the place. And we have to use our imagination here because we don't know how five loaves and two fish got spread amongst 5,000 people and there were leftovers but we do know there was enough food that it says people were, they did eat and they were satisfied and there were leftovers. And what happened? How did this food miraculously multiply? And people have speculated about this for a long time and I've heard speculation about the fact that, well, maybe people were inspired when they saw Jesus uh, 
come aboard, uh, come ashore and, and care for them and then send the disciples with whatever meagre resources they had to care for the groups, they thought, oh, well, maybe we've got some too and share it around. And when I first heard this interpretation, I thought, that's a weak, liberal interpretation for people who don't believe in miracles because they can't believe that Jesus could have magically multiplied the food. But as I've gone on in life, I've actually come to see that that is probably a greater Miracle. I also think that if Jesus had magically multiplied the food, some mention of that would have been in the text. There would have been a moment where people kind of went, did you see that? All the food just multiplied. (laughs) There's no mention of that in the text. And then I think about the miracle of people actually caring for each other in what might have been a potentially difficult situation because there may have been potentially not enough food, a scarcity. I I mentioned in my uh, Facebook video earlier this week, on Sunday afternoon, I think I put it, or Monday morning it goes out. Uh, So if you catch those videos, they're often a bit of a preview of what I'm going to talk about on the Sunday coming. And uh, when the COVID shutdown started here in Ultimo, there was a local chat group that's formed to support one another. And um, in that group, people who had needs could let others know that they needed something and uh, it was at a time when we weren't supposed to be going out for much at all and when toilet paper was evaporating off store shelves and so forth and then if people had an excess of something they wanted to share they could put that out there as well and this became a really wonderful community kind of connecting place. Um, There was uh, great bonds of appreciation that were formed between people and a very strong sense of well-being that developed, we kind of became much more a community in the face of this particular challenge. And it was a, a surprising thing because it wasn't just whether you needed something or whether you had something to offer, but just kind of being aware of the conversations going around, on around you, people sharing what they had with those who needed it gave an incredible sense of well-being. just made you feel like, this is a really good community to be part of and if I do have a need, I'll probably be okay because people around here are kind of kind and nice. And that was really brilliant. And I think this is the beginnings of a sense of abundance. Because as we see in this situation... Jesus demonstrates making use of what we have available. He doesn't say, oh, 5,000 people, they all want to have a loaf and a fish, that means we need this, this and this. Where are we going to get that? He says, what have you got? What have you got to offer? Okay, that's what you've got. Let's make a start with that. Let's see how we go. And it's a surprising moment. And It's good to start with what you've got rather than what you need because what you need, and again if you saw my video, you'll know that what you need is a flexible category. I mean, what is need? If I ask people, three people in a room, probably get four ideas of what you need, you know? If we start with need, everyone will have a different um, idea of what it is and it's always beyond what we have and we're likely to be defeated by not having what we need. Whereas if we start with what we have, we have it. Let's make use of it and see what we can do, and then there's the potential that others might join in with what they have, and they can 
share what they have and things can start to grow from there. Jesus also doesn't try to control this miracle. Much of the miracle, many of the miracles of Jesus are very much him doing something. But in this situation we see Jesus saying to the disciples, why don't you take this one? He blesses the food and sends them. So he's very much part of it. But it's the disciples' participation, this almost divesting of centralised power, if you like, to the disciples so that they go and give the people something to eat. Jesus is not hoarding control in this situation. And I think the abundance is the fruit of community. It relates more to heart disposition to what we have available than it does to the actual quantity of what we have as resources. In actual fact, we can have a greater sense of well-being and then need less stuff. So that's, that's the thing that happens because what we think we need is often a desire to satisfy uh, needs we're not even aware of. Often it's fear, fear of missing out, fear we won't have enough, fear of the future, fear of we don't even know what. And so we will hoard things. Do you think everybody that bought 60,000 toilet rolls that needed those that week? No, they were scared that next time they went there wouldn't be any, so they had to get their lifetime supply now in case they needed to go to the toilet again. A lot of our consumption is a poorly directed response to our sense of need and lack of well-being. Going back to the example of the locals group that I mentioned a moment ago, even on those days, as I say, that we had nothing to offer and we nothing to ask for, we had this sense of well-being. And... Yesterday we heard of uh, friends from uh, my daughter's school over in the Northern Beaches. You might have seen it on the news on Friday night. Their house burnt down to the ground. They lost everything. They got out with their lives and the clothes they were wearing. And you know, our family was shocked by that and they need clothes at the moment. They don't need anything else because they've got nowhere else to put anything else, but they need to get through day by day. And Joe thought... I wonder if anybody around here might have a few clothes. We knew their sizes. Last, late last night she put it out on the chat thing and by the end of today I reckon we'll have a carload of stuff. This is the abundance that creates a surplus, even for people we do not know. I mean, Joe and I know this family, but nobody else in this community knows that family. But there's an abundance here because we're connected because we care about each other, because we don't all need one of everything. We know, oh, if I need one of those, I can get that on the odd occasion that I need it from so-and-so who's got one. And there's this richness that comes as a result of that sort of sharing. So this story takes place in a time of crisis, a time when we would forgive Jesus for going into his survival, instinctual, what's-going-to-help-me-get-by moment, and he doesn't. He resists that urge and rather gives himself to the crowds that come. And then when there's another crisis moment, and I can imagine the disciples thinking, this really ought not to be our problem. Let's send them away. Send them away. And Jesus says, don't send them away. Lead. Go in amongst. And invites them to participate in the miracle of building community with a bunch of strangers. And even the people gathered there, in their 50s. They could have panicked and gone, 
there's not going to be enough. And there could have been a riot or fights or all sorts of things could happen. But given the model that had been set by Jesus and then the disciples, it created an environment where people went, yeah, what have I got? Oh, I've got a peanut butter sandwich. You want a bit of peanut butter? I don't know. We don't know that part. That's beyond the text. But there seems to be this miracle where things suddenly appear and people's needs are met. The result is not only that everybody has what they need, The result is there is an abundance. There's more than we need. And the 12 baskets, 12 is a number in the scriptures that talks about community, 12 disciples, 12 tribes. 12 is the completeness of community. This is a sign. It's a sign that's meant to make us wonder about the kingdom of God. The miracle of hearts changed, so instead of grasping, we become self-giving. This is the seed of the kingdom. It is a city set on a hill, a light that shouldn't be covered with a covering. It is the leaven in the dough. May we likewise be challenged and transformed to the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing generosity to us. We are people who need of nothing except a changed heart to share of the abundance that we have. Continue to call us forth to be people who give of ourselves to the circumstances and the people that we find ourselves among, that we might live your kingdom way to the glory of your name. Amen.